Good morning, Graceway. Today is Friday, November eighth, and this is Enoch and Dohi from the Morning Bible Study Teaching Team. Today we'll be picking up from last time with verses twenty-eight to thirty-four of the twelfth chapter of Mark. After withstanding the arguments of the Pharisees, Herodians, and Sadducees, Jesus is asked to summarize the law. If you want to follow along, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll be reading the narration in the words of the scribe, and I'll be playing Jesus. Let's begin. Mark, chapter twelve, verses twenty-eight through thirty-four. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked them, "Which commandment is the first of all?" Jesus answered, "The first is, 'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.'" Then the scribe said to him, "You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one." And besides him, there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." After that, no one dared to ask him any question. There's something really amazing about this passage. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, like all throughout Mark, over and over again, no one seems to get what Jesus is up to, right? I mean, he explicitly teaches his disciples, and they just don't get it. And here in Jerusalem, in the belly of the beast, in the midst of all these charged back and forth, where it just seems like everyone's trying to find something to pin against Jesus, there's this scribe that seems to actually get it, right? To the extent that Jesus actually ends up. Commending him. Yeah, I think the reason for that is because what draws the scribe to Jesus is how Jesus answered the previous questions. It seems to me that based on how Jesus answered, he thinks that Jesus can provide for him an answer to the burning questions that he's been wrestling with. Yeah, I mean,、um, it seems that this is an earnest scribe, someone who actually really, really wrestled with the law a lot. Because at the end of the day, what he's asking is, what is the purpose of the law? Yeah, I mean, you know, on one hand, the question he asked me seemed like a really simplistic one. You know, in Jewish recordings of the sayings of famous rabbis, this type of questions like it's put into the mouths of like the new convert, right? They don't know anything about anything at all. But on the other hand, the simplest questions are very often the most difficult, right? And in the context where What the law is defines one's existence, complete existence as a Jew. I mean, the, the scribe is pretty much asking Jesus for nothing less than like the mean, answer to the question of the meaning of life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, it seems that the scribe's motivation is not like the others who want to trap Jesus. This scribe seems to be genuinely interested in Jesus's answers. And Jesus, to some extent, begins with what seems like a standard answer, right? I mean, the Shema, 
of Deuteronomy 6. The confession of faith that every faithful follower of God would have known from their very youth. I mean, you know, if Jesus is the answer to every Sunday school question today, Mm -hmm. like the Shema is kind of like the answer to every discussion to law, right? Yeah. Yeah, And then Jesus doesn't just stop there. He adds on Leviticus 19. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where it gets complicated, right? I mean, this this is a really interesting tidbit because it comes, it's not like it's like in a special section or highlighted like the Shema is. You know, it's this really like broad set of miscellaneous laws in the middle of the holiness code in Leviticus. You know, you got a bunch of laws which aren't necessarily connected to one another, all ending with the same refrain, you know, I am the Lord. Um, but this one that Jesus cites seems particularly relevant given the situation that he's in, right? Um, let me read it for us. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Yeah. I guess in this Mark passage, though, the irony is that leading up to this point, there hadn't been very much love of neighbor going on anyway. There's so much disagreements and, like, bickering with one another. Yeah, you've got all these different factions, right, trying to find a way to undermine one another. And I guess for me as a teacher, the scribe's answer would really impress me. Because in his answer, you can tell that he's not only learned the law, but that he has internalized it really well. I mean, well enough to paraphrase it. Um, it's not just something that he's saying by rote or something that he's memorized. And it's not just regurgitation of scripture. Um, and we know what that's like. We, I mean, we all do it. And sometimes we do it without even knowing what we're saying. Yeah, and not only does he paraphrase it, I mean, he even adds to it, right? I mean... There's this additional bit that he says, like all this about loving God and neighbor, that's more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I mean, if you just think about it, like this, this is an amazing statement given the times they're in, right? I mean, at the hearts of all these disagreements between these various parties, right? These schools of thought, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, they spent all day just arguing about the law, right? And they're arguing about exactly how the temple ritual should be run, right? Or what the implications of purity should be. You know, when are you clean and unclean? I mean, there's just all these intense matters of interpretation. I mean, this is this is like heavy stuff and like really important stuff. Mm-hmm. And then here we have a scribe who seems to sense that somehow something went wrong somewhere, right? Like there's, there's no like a viciousness to the arguments about the law. And something about that viciousness, like maybe he's displacing the real spirit of the law. I mean, like this temple... That's supposed to be the focus of the unified worship of the one God for all the nations, right? It's now the object of so much acrid disagreement, so much hatred, so much controversy. Yeah, and this is what's so astounding about this passage. Here we have a scribe in Jesus who aren't having an argument. There's no antagonism. Instead, there's like a mutual appreciation of the law that reflects their love of God and one another. They're on the same side and not trying to take one another down. Yeah, and Jesus actually commends the scribe, right? And just and it just changes the whole atmosphere, right? I mean, like no one dared to continue attack. Yeah. After that, right? I mean, it's as if like all that negative energy, um, all that animosity just got sucked out. I mean, you know, thinking about today, 
it's not like the temple in Jerusalem is around anymore. But, you know, that doesn't mean that the Christians aren't still arguing about stuff. And we have all sorts of theological, practical, and, yeah, liturgical, you know, questions of cleanness and unclean. I mean, like, we still got these questions all over uh, about the church, how it should be run. You know, and, and these aren't small issues. I mean, like, on one hand, sometimes, you know, you can hear about churches that are arguing about the color of the rug or something. But, yeah, there there are ways to sort of see that, like, as being really important. Like, you know, we're commanded, like Israel was, to really meditate on the law of God day and night so that our entire lives are shaped in accordance with it. I mean, like, love your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and all your strength. Like, no detail gets unturned. Mm. But all of our focus on the letter of, of the law might, on the letter of things, might miss the point if we lose the spirit. I mean, we don't want to break the commandment in our very attempts to obey it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not really loving God if your attempts to love God um, end up with you hating or looking down on your fellow neighbors. There's just so much discord among Christians, you know? Um, I mean, within churches, within denominations, um, between denominations, in any given relationship, what's the point of being right if you're going to be an island afterwards? Yeah, I know, right? I mean, you know, there's going to be disagreements about really important things. I mean, that's that's just the nature of things. But, you know, if we ever get to a place that we end up despising or hating one another, you know, that's when, that's when you know we've already lost. Uh, yeah. So that's where we'll leave it today. Um, you know, I just want to ask a question. Are we really loving God? With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves, is this more important to us than any offering or sacrifice we think we're offering to God? This is Enoch. And Dohi. Signing out.